We open and read in the Word of God this evening from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 6. Matthew, chapter 6, we'll begin reading at verse 19 and read to the end of the chapter. The text is from verse 19, uh, sorry, the text is from verse 25 through verse 32, and I won't read those verses again. Matthew, chapter 6, beginning at verse 19, and we read to the end of the chapter. Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, the whole body shall be full of light. But if thine eye be evil, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness? No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. Ye cannot serve God and mammon. Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what ye shall eat, or what ye shall drink, nor yet for your body, what ye shall put on. Is not the life more than meat, and the body more than raiment? Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are ye not much better than they? Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit unto his stature? And why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon, in all his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, Shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Therefore take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, And all these things shall be added unto you. Take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. We read this far in the holy and inspired word of God. The text is verses 25 through 32. I'll just read a couple of those verses. Verse 25, Therefore I say unto you, Take no thought for your life, what ye shall eat, or what ye shall drink, nor yet for your body, what ye shall put on. Is not the life more than meat, and the body more than raiment? And then verse 30, Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? We're working our way 
through the Sermon on the Mount in which Jesus teaches us about genuine Christianity and does that in contrast to the externalism of the scribes and the Pharisees. And in this chapter, chapter 6, Jesus teaches us about being a genuine Christian in your day-to-day living. And he divides our day-to-day living into two things, worship and then work, wealth, and worry. In the first 18 verses, he deals with the subject of worship, your alms, your prayers, and your fasting. In contrast to the scribes and the Pharisees who do these things to be seen of men, he says, you do it so that your Father who sees in secret can reward you openly. And then in the second part of the chapter, beginning in verse 19, we started looking at this last week, he talks about the workaday world of wealth and worry and so on, material things. Now, as Jesus addresses these practical areas of our life, he digs deep into the heart, into our hearts. And we see that in verse 21, which we looked at last week, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And Jesus is saying, there are things that are important to you, and those things that are important to you reflect what's in your heart, and what is in your heart will, in the end, govern your life. So what comes out in your life comes from your heart. And the things that you set your heart on, your treasures, are going to feed what's in your heart, so that more and more you pursue what's in your heart. Jesus, in the section that we look at tonight and toward in the rest of this chapter, we could say digs even deeper into our hearts as he talks about worry and anxiety. In these verses, from verse 25 to the end of the chapter, that's really the subject of Jesus, and I plan to look at them with you in three different sermons. Tonight we're going to look at verses 25 through 32 and look at worry or concern, especially in relation to material things, possessions, food and drink, and clothing. That's what Jesus is talking about here primarily. Then in the next sermon, we'll look at verse 33, which is the, the antithesis to that, the contrast to that, the positive. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and then we'll finish this chapter, verse 34, with a sermon about anxiety more generally, and especially, as Jesus talks, it there, talks about it there, anxiety with regard to our future. So tonight, the subject is really anxiety or worry in reference to material provisions. And we'll look at this under the theme from verse 30, O ye of little faith. Notice first with me our problem, then second, notice Jesus' counsel, and then third, the promised Result as we follow the counsel of Jesus. O ye of little faith, what is our problem? Our problem is that we worry about the things that have to do with our daily life. What Jesus refers to here is food and drink and raiment or clothing. 
That's Jesus' diagnosis. Now, the first thing for us to see about this is that Jesus addresses these words to us, to believers. He's speaking here to the disciples who came unto him. He's not speaking here in reference to the world of unbelievers. And that comes out very clearly in this passage. He's saying to his disciples, I say unto you, which of you, O you of little faith. And that's important for us to see tonight because Jesus is addressing a problem that we all struggle with, something that we all struggle with. It's not just the poor who don't know where their next meal will come from who are anxious about earthly provision. It's not just the middle-class worker who is worried about his retirement account and his investments that has worry about the future, but it's also the wealthy who worry about business, sales, profits, and so on. This is a problem that we all have, and Jesus is addressing that. And Jesus addresses it here with two main expressions or phrases in the passage. The first is the one that's mentioned five times here, take no thought. And then the other is the one in verse 30, O ye of little faith. And that gets at not our behavior, but the underlying problem. The first there's our behavior. Take no thought. Jesus is diagnosing something about us with regard to material provision. In the original Greek, this is a phrase that's very difficult to bring over into the English language. And what we have in the King James Version here certainly doesn't capture it. Take no thought in English would mean literally, don't think about it at all. And Jesus can't mean that with regard to food and clothing and drink and shelter and so on. He doesn't mean don't think about it at all. If that's what he meant, he wouldn't be saying anything about it here at all either. The other modern translations translate this either don't be anxious or don't worry. And that's closer to the meaning, but still doesn't quite get it. Because worry and anxiety, the modern translations, usually have something to do with fear. And that's not necessarily an element here. Jesus is not talking to people who are afraid that they won't have clothes or afraid that they won't have food. It's not just a word for those who are afraid, but a word for us all. And the best way for us to understand the, the phrase here, take no thought, is to see how it's used or translated elsewhere in Scripture, especially in this passage in Luke chapter 10, where Jesus comes to the house of Mary and Martha and Lazarus. And there Jesus puts with this word two other synonyms. So this is what we read in Mark chapter 10 and verse or Luke chapter 10 and verse 40. But Martha was cumbered about much serving and came to him and said, Lord, dost thou not care that my sister hath left me to serve alone? Bid her therefore that she help me. And Jesus answered and said unto her, Martha, Martha, thou art careful and troubled about many things. The word that's here in Luke chapter 10, which is the same word in the passage that we're looking at tonight is the word careful. Thou art careful. And that means anxious or full of care. But there are two other words here that Jesus uses. And they are the words troubled, which has the idea of being agitated. 
And then the word cumbered, and that means distracted. She's distracted by her serving. She's troubled and agitated by it. And that fills her with care about it. Now, Martha's not afraid that there won't be food. No, she's just focused on this thing. We all know the story here of Mary and Martha. In a sense, we could say, they had a unique opportunity. Jesus, the Son of God in the flesh, had come to their house. And gathered around in the room where Jesus was to hear his teaching were many of his disciples. And Mary and Martha did two different things. Mary said, I want to sit and be taught by Jesus. Martha was distracted, cumbered about, with concerns about food and the cleanliness of the house. And she was very busy with those things. And those, we could say, secondary things occupied her thinking and her time. They dominated in her mind. And that's why Jesus says to her, Martha, you're careful and troubled. You're full of care and you're agitated about the secondary things. So the idea here is not so much a fear, but the idea is that we can be preoccupied with subordinate things at the expense of the more important things, what we referred to last, last week as treasures in heaven and treasures on earth. The treasures on earth occupy our thinking and our time instead of the treasures of heaven. And now, as you think about it that way, you understand that this is not just a word for somebody who suffers from anxiety with fear, but this is a word for all of us. Because don't we all have a problem with our priorities? Don't we overthink our earthly life and plans and neglect the spiritual things in our life, such as prayer and the reading of God's Word and sitting to be taught one way or another at the feet of Jesus? And yes, sometimes when we do this, we can become fearful and afraid, and we can enter into a a cycle of anxiety and worry about earthly things. Certainly Jesus is speaking to that too. But this is a word for all of us tonight. So that's Jesus' first uh, part of his diagnosis, the first part of our problem. We are too consumed and concerned in our thinking with secondary things. The second part of our problem is addressed by Jesus at the end of verse 30 in the words, O ye of little faith. Again, this is addressed to the disciples. It's addressed to believers. Jesus does not say here, you don't have any faith. He's speaking to believers, but he says to them, your faith is little. He's talking about the quantity of their faith. He's not condemning them as unbelievers. And that's encouraging for us if we think about it. Oh, ye of little faith. A sinking Peter, a sinning David, a crafty Jacob. These are not condemned as unbelievers, but these are believers whose faith was little. And sometimes we find that, the, that our faith is weak. 
And then the Word of God comes to us to encourage us in our faith by calling us to look at the Word of God, to look at God Himself, to look at the Savior and the saving work that He's accomplished, and to, as He becomes the fixed focus and object of our faith, to grow them in our faith. And so we think of the words of the man who came to Jesus And Jesus asked him whether he believed that his son could be made whole. And he said, Lord, I believe. Help thou my unbelief. Little faith. Now, this phrase, little faith here, comes in a context. And again, the context has to do with concern about daily provision. Food, drink, and clothing. Those are particular things that Jesus is talking about here, as well as life. Can you add one cubit to your stature? And I think the proper way for us to understand that is not so much with reference to your height, but a cubit is a span, and Jesus is talking about adding time to your days, the length of your days. There are four other times that this expression, little faith, is used in the New Testament, and they're all used in the same way. In Luke chapter 12, verse 28, in reference to clothing. In Mark chapter 16, verse 8, in reference to food. In Matthew chapter 8, verse 26, when the disciples are with Jesus in the storm, in a ship, he uses it in reference to their life. They think they're going to die. And then in Matthew chapter 14, again, to Peter in reference to his life. So little faith, little faith is a faith that trusts in God for salvation, I believe, but fails to trust in God in the little circumstances of daily life, the troubles that come our way and the concerns in daily life. A person with little faith has, we could say, no problem with doctrine, with confessing God and understanding their sin and the need of the cross of Jesus Christ. They trust in Christ alone for their salvation, but they fail to apply that to their daily life. This person makes a wonderful confession. He has what we might say a a wonderful faith with regard to his salvation, but In the troubles of daily life, he's a whimpering and crying and defeated person. O ye of little faith. Jesus is talking about this, that our worry over what we eat and drink and how we'll dress and our life tomorrow doesn't match what we confess in our theology. We trust God for the big things, the eternal things, but we don't trust Him as we should in the little things of life. And so again, in the storm with the disciples in Luke chapter 8, verse 25, the disciples say, Master, we perish. And He says, where's your faith? It doesn't mean you don't have any faith, but why aren't you using your faith? Why aren't you exercising your faith? So little faith trusts in God for salvation, but fails to trust God in the situations of daily life. There's one more thing that we should say about little faith, and it's this. It's not only a failure to apply God's Word in certain situations, but it's really a failure to take God at His Word. We could put it this way. Little faith believes in Jesus, but little faith doesn't believe Jesus. 
It rests in him for salvation, but it doesn't believe his word with regard to our life and God's care of us. And if you look at the passage here, you see that that's actually what Jesus is saying. In, in uh, the questions that he asks, and we're going to come back to these, but really Jesus is saying this. In verse 24, you say that you trust in God, but you really trust in mammon, money. You acknowledge, verse 25, that life is more than food and clothing, but you're consumed with food and clothing. You're a child of God, and you acknowledge that. You're a far greater value to God than the birds of the air, but you're afraid He won't feed you. You understand and confess that God is the creator of all things, that He takes care in His providence of this creation, the flowers and the birds and the grass, but you don't trust that He'll care for you. Little faith. And so often this reflects our faith with regard to the little things, the concerns of daily life. We have no problem confessing that God is sovereign, acknowledging His providence, and confessing it from a biblical point of view. We trust that our sins are forgiven through the blood of Jesus Christ, We depend on Him for strength and grace in the struggles against sin and temptation. But when it comes to bills and clothing and our health and our work and our income, the things that comparatively are trivial compared to those eternal things, we fret. And we're anxious. And we might tend to belittle that and say, well, everybody worries about those things, don't they? But when we worry about those things, we're saying this in effect, God, I know what the Word says, but I'm not sure that I can trust it or believe your promises. And that's Massive, because we're being mastered in our lives by circumstances rather than being governed by the Word of God and trusting His promises. Take no thought, O ye of little faith. What's the counsel that Jesus gives us here? Well, very simply it's this. To exercise your faith. To exercise your faith. To trust in God with regard to the daily provisions of your life. To not be consumed with them. To not be distracted by them. To not be agitated about them as Martha was. To not be anxious about food, clothing, and shelter. That's Jesus' counsel here, but I want you to see here how helpful Jesus is in the way that he presents that to us, as he calls us to exercise our faith. He doesn't just rebuke weak faith, but he tells us how to put our faith into practice in our daily life and in the circumstances of our daily life. And we could call this the logic of faith, the logic of faith. Paul uses the logic of faith when he says, for example, I reckon, 
that the sufferings of this life are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us hereafter. He's thinking through things from the point of view of faith, from the point of view of the Word of God and what he trusts and what he confesses. And then he says, this is the way I evaluate things. And that's something like what Jesus does here. He wants us to put our knowledge, faith, remember, is knowledge, and trust, he wants us to put our knowledge into practice so that our trust may become stronger. Because when we worry about daily life, we're being governed by circumstances, by experiences, and not by the Word of God. You see this elsewhere in Scripture. The implications of what we believe applied to the situations of our life. Think, for example, of the implications of who we are on account of our salvation. Jesus is going to use that kind of an argument here. What is it that God has done for us? Well, He's chosen us in eternity, hasn't He? He's given us the Holy Spirit. He's given us His Son and spared Him not. Our identity is in Jesus Christ. We belong to Him. We have an eternal inheritance. And we know God's purpose for us in our eternal salvation. We have these things that we hold on to and that we confess. And now, what does that mean? In your daily life. Or think about this, that God has revealed to us who He is. He's our Father, and Jesus is going to use that here too. He's the immutable one. He's the God of love that never changes. He's the God of omnipotence and power. He's the God of faithfulness and of sovereignty. He's the God who is eternal. He's the God of glory. What does that mean? Romans chapter 5, verse 10. Here's this logic at work. If... When we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son. Much more, being reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. It's talking there about the certainty of our preservation. If we were reconciled when we're sinners, now as those who are already reconciled, how can we fall away? Romans 8, verse 32, He that spared not his own son, but gave him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? If God gave his own son, and now we should sit and we should think about that for a little while. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God gave his son for you? Oh, If God has done that, the greater thing, won't he, with him, with Jesus Christ, give you all the things that you need? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that condemneth, it's Christ that died. Who shall separate us from the love of God? And those are the same kinds of things. The application of what we confess about The love of God, the application of what we confess about Jesus taking the price of our sin on himself. And so we're more than conquerors, Romans 8 says. 
And Jesus does something like that here with a series of questions. There's a masterful logic here in what Jesus teaches, but also it's beautiful and it's memorable because he's sitting on the hillside with his disciples and he's speaking to them of the birds and of the flowers and of the grass and he can point to those things and they can look at them again later and they can remember the words, the questions of Jesus here. He uses Five questions. The first question we could summarize this way. How balanced are you? That's in verse 25. How balanced are you? Therefore I say unto you, take no thought, or don't be filled with care for your life. What ye shall eat, or what ye shall drink, nor yet for your body, what ye shall put on. Is not the life more than meat or food, and isn't the body more than raiment or clothing? And Jesus is saying this, when you worry about life, and you worry about your body, you're worried about what you're going to eat, and you're worried about what you're going to wear. But isn't living, and isn't your body more than just what you eat and drink, and your clothing? That's his question. How balanced are you? And we have to confess that sometimes we value the things that support life more than life itself. I mean, we're more worried about the, the food and the clothing. And Jesus is saying here, but you have life, don't you? Isn't that the important thing? Isn't that the more important thing? Isn't that what matters? You have a body to feed. You have a body to clothe. Why are you worried about the clothing and the food? God has given you life. Don't be concerned about the inferior things. The second question in verse 26, how valuable are you? How valuable are you? Behold the fowls of the air. Jesus is saying, stand back and look. Look at the birds. They sow not. They don't put seeds in the ground. Neither do they reap. They don't have a harvest time. They don't gather into barns. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much better than they? More valuable to God than them? God cares for the birds so much that he feeds them. We sang, he hears the ravens cry. A crow, who is of more value to God? A black crow without a soul? Or you, his child? He gave his own son for you. Don't you think that if God feeds the crows, he'll provide for you? Why are you worried about food? And then he asks a similar question in verses 28 through 30. Uh, this one's not related to food now, but to clothing. How valuable are you or how important are you? In verses 28 through 30, 
Why take ye thought for raiment, clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. And then think of all the work that we have to put into clothing, to be clothed. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon, in all his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. There's a greater glory to the flowers, to one flower, than all the glory of Solomon. You see the pageantry of the English royals and Jesus saying one flower is more glorious than that. Wherefore, he says, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? What do you do with grass? Cut it down. Burn it. Probably here he's talking about the way they would uh, fuel their ovens. They would gather together bales of straw and, and burn them in their ovens. And God gives a luster to the green fields. God gives a glory to the flowers. Why are you worried about clothing? Doesn't he and won't he clothe you? In verse 27, there's another question, and really the question here is, how powerful are you? Or, we could put it another way, what does your worrying accomplish? Verse 27, which of you by taking thought can add one cubit unto his stature? I suppose that could mean that by worrying you might think you could become a foot and a half, 18 inches taller. But more likely this refers to a span of time. Which of you, by your worry, can extend your life? And wouldn't we say that worry is counterproductive to longevity? That it takes away from life? Jesus is saying here, you don't determine the length of your days. You may be able to do things that are healthy for your body, but you can't say, this is how long I'm going to live. It's not in your hands. This is in the hands of God, isn't it? How powerful are you? Are you going to accomplish anything with your worry? And then there's another question we can ask from the parenthetical phrase in verse 32. How pagan are you? How much like the world are you in these concerns? Or how different are you? Jesus says, Take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. This is the concern of an unbelieving world that lays up for itself treasures on earth. How different are you than that? And we can Ask ourselves these questions. Jesus wants us to see here that the best answers to our concerns are these questions from God, that we, as it were, stand back from our life and ourselves and the circumstances of our life and the concerns that we have and the things that we're immersed in and see these things from God's perspective. 
And he answers these questions really with one simple phrase, and it's the most important thing here at the end of verse 32. For your heavenly Father knows that you have need of all these things. And if we back up in the chapter to verse 8, Jesus says there, he knows that you need these things before you ask him. What he's saying is this, that God is omnipotent. He's your creator. He's the one that made the birds and the flowers and the grass. He's the one that's made you. He's your savior. He's the one who, as your father, has redeemed you by, as we saw from Romans 8, sparing not his own son, but giving him up for you. And he not only in his power has all things in his hand, but in his love, he's planned them out for you. He says to you as your father, I love you. I've given my son for you. I'll care for you. I'll care for your life. I know your name. I know your circumstances. I know your needs. You're not just one among millions, but you are my child. And that's God's answer to our worries, isn't it? I'm your father. And again, you see Jesus' beautiful style, method of teaching, using metaphors. Why has God made all these things in the creation? As pictures to us of God's care. Why has God made us in families with fathers and children so that we may know who he is as our father? And what a peace that exercise of faith produces in the soul. That's the promise here. It's not stated specifically by Jesus here, but it's certainly stated elsewhere in Scripture and implied here. And I point you to Philippians chapter 4 and verse 6, where the same word, again, is used. The, word, the words of Jesus, take no thought, or be careful for, or don't be careful for, or filled with care about something. So this is Philippians 4 and verse 6, be careful for nothing. It could say, take no thought for a thing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And then this, and the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your heart and minds through Christ Jesus. What a promise. For the anxious. Peace of God shall keep your heart. That doesn't mean that we are suddenly and forever free from all anxiety. No, like the sermon this morning, anxiety is a lifelong struggle. This, what Jesus is talking about here is a, is a battle, and, and we shouldn't become discouraged, and we shouldn't become disappointed when we win the battle with worry one day, and then we're faced with anxiety again the next day. But then the word of Jesus here, Exercise your faith. Use the logic of faith. And insofar as you do, looking beyond 
your circumstances, trusting in the goodness and the sovereignty of God. He'll give you this peace. He'll fill your soul with contentment. You don't need to worry because your Heavenly Father knows what you have need of before you ask Him. And so let's take that truth, let's confess it, let's believe it, let's apply it to our lives, to food, to drink, to clothing, as Jesus teaches us here, this week, this year, next year. Take no thought for your life, what you shall eat or drink, or for your body, what you'll be clothed with. But rest in the Father who knows your need. Amen. Father, we are thankful for the instruction of Jesus here, the way that it touches the personal aspects of our life and encourages us. And help us, Lord, to do our work, to live in this world of wealth and money, to be confident with regard to daily provision of food and clothing, knowing that thou art the God who has promised to supply. And we think of the words of Jesus earlier in this chapter when he taught us to pray, give us this day our daily bread. We know that thou hast provided and that thou wilt provide. So free us from these concerns, we pray for Jesus' sake. Amen.